This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysu. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant Aiming Solutions, Ruger, Rugged Reliable Firearms, Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callingest Calls Made, Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved, Taurus, maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Wysoon. Welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires and very fortunate this evening to actually be around a campfire. So very often some of our campfires are a little bit on the virtual side, but had an opportunity to come down to the southern part of Texas, just south of San Antonio, and spend some time with some very special people, including Mr. Neil Davies with Hornady, Blake Barnett with Now Trailing the Hunter's Moon, and, and also Woodrow Skinny, Chase <laughs> is that okay if I say that? Yeah, Thanks I want so to. <laughs> I appreciate you guys being with us this afternoon. We've come off of an interesting hunt. Y'all get to hunt a little bit longer. We're sitting in South Texas. It's a December. we got a fire going, and you guys are all wearing shorts except for me. So <laughs> yeah. do you kind of visualize that? It, you know, it should be in the 40s, but it's probably in the near 80s. It is, sure. in the, it is in the 80s. It, <laughs> is, it is 82 today. And I, I came from Nebraska. It's not. It's it's cooler than that, but holy cow, this is actually quite warm, yeah. This is a little bit unusual for South Texas, but it also, we have those days. We're even in December. I can remember several in the past where it was like right at 100 right after Christmas trying try to hunt white-tailed deer. And, and uh, we even tried some deer drives way back when. And those oh, were, really? Those oh, were right. not very successful in this solid brush country. 
Neil, you came down to, uh, to actually kind of spend a little time away from everything, I suspect. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your trip down and, and kind of what the experiences were that you've had so far. I got to ride with y'all today, and I know y'all are going somewhere else tomorrow. So what was it like coming down here to, to the brush country? Well, you know, I drove down from Nebraska, so all the way down through Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. And it wasn't encouraging when the thermometer on my truck reads, you know, in the 70s in Kansas and 70s in Oklahoma and then obviously 70s down here. And then now today, yeah, it was 80. Uh, it was cooler this morning, though. It's in the, it was cooler this morning. Yeah, in the 40s. It was actually pretty cool this morning. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a drive, you know, that transition as you go from different country to even dip more different country all the way down until you get clear down here into southern part of texas so it's it's a great uh, journey across some pretty unique landscape here in the central plains of the united states it is this south texas brush country we're really just barely into it is is a truly unique area as far as i'm concerned of course known for big white-tailed deer among other things and, and big rattlesnakes as well too and i'm surprised we haven't seen any of those yet but uh you came down to hunt with Blake, I understand. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So we're uh, we'd scheduled this and talked about this for a while, um, a year. And I mean, this yeah. is normally I've I've hunted deer in, in this part of Texas this time of year before, and normally it's just you know a virtual guarantee that you're going to see a lot of activity. But in this kind of temperature, uh, we're seeing plenty of does, and some of the younger bucks are doing a little chasing, but none of the none of the mature bucks right now at the place where we're hunting, anyways. It's been an unusual season, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, talk about heat. 82 today. We're going to, looks like we're going to be in the 90s tomorrow, low 90s tomorrow, low 90s on Friday. And uh, we could hit 100 by Christmas, Larry. Just maybe one of those, <laughs> one of those yeah. years. Oh, I, I remember those. You know, we, we talk so much about all the weird things that are happening, but there's nothing really that weird this is <laughs> this kind of happens every once in a great long while like i said i remember some days where it was 100 degrees between christmas and new year's in the past but neil's right we worked on this for we've been working on this for a year we wanted it to happen last year um when the pandemic oh, yeah. was strong and actually chase got real sick when we were on another hunt which caused me to feel run down i called neil we weren't we weren't sure if it was the covid virus or what and and um so we had to we had to postpone it but my goal has been able to was was to put Neil and get Neil on a good South Texas brush country buck and and um, it's just not working out for us right <laughs> yeah, now. It's, it's, been, just, it's just been that I way. Mean, I mean, it's just weird. I mean, lots of deer being seen, uh, immature bucks. Uh, we we've had a couple of deer that were definitely on the hit list that chase. You know, Woodrow, uh, who's my <laughs> skinny. field producer, <laughs> skinny, uh, um, has had on trail camera and that disappeared the first week of November you know that we haven't seen that are certainly the type of deer we were looking for but um the rut's different it, it just hasn't happened yet. it should be happening right now for us and and um it's uh it seems to be a little bit late or it just i don't know if it's happening at night we, we brought i'm glad you're here to try to help us figure that out and even you're having a hard time figuring yeah. it out well, so. you know what it's really kind of a universal thing uh with what's going on this year i've, I've spoken with people not only here in texas but other states oh, yeah. and it's really kind of a, a truly weird year, and in some areas, I think, kind of based on people I have faith in, you know, it looks like the rut's a little bit late this year compared to what it normally is. And normally, I state that, South Texas traditionally, from research, most does in South Texas are bred on December 18th, and we're just a, literally almost a week away from that, and yet we're not seeing any 
the real substantial running activity. No, you saw it today. You know, this, this morning we went out early, and, right. and Neil's right. It was the coolest morning we've had for the week, which was only 46 or 48 degrees. So uh, when I say cool, it literally was, it was cool at 6.45 this morning. By 8 o'clock, right. it was already 70. Two seventy-four degrees. Yeah, we were shedding know. clothes because yeah. we were trying and, um, to walk into areas. And, I mean, it, you're right. And you was, rattled in a mature buck for us this morning. Um, yeah, I know. That's, one that's of the a, older deer a, we've seen for the season, to be honest with you. Uh, you rattled him in on the second stand, and which yeah. was encouraging. He came in quiet. He didn't come in charging hard like they would normally about this time of year. But and the then, day before we had one, he was a, a younger yeah. buck, and he came screaming in. Screaming yeah. in. Yeah, and that but, was fun to watch. But riding around on the ranch that you saw, you know, we – course south texas way we corn the senderos and right and stuff and we, we're seeing a lot of does but they they don't have the mature boys you know bucks with them you know and what tells me that this, it really hadn't occurred yet because normally this time of year you see a lot of six-month-old buck fawns kind of roaming around going oh my god what did mom done to me kind of thing yeah. mm-hmm. and we're we've seen we did see one this morning yeah. But so many of the fawns are still with the does right yeah. now. And it's, what it's bucks unusual. we've seen any kind of activity on, you know, they've been yearling and two-year-old kind of things. They've, they've, we really haven't seen that older age class kick in yet. But that's the same thing I saw every place else I did it. Oh, yeah, part, so. all the way up and down. I mean, in Nebraska, our rifle season is pretty much during the rut there, which is somewhere around the, you know, Veterans Day right. through the following weekend. and. Our weather was was not abnormal this year. I mean, it wasn't super cold, but it wasn't, you know, crazy warm either. But then, like, Kansas rifle season's going on right now, too. And, you know, this is a post-rut rifle hunt up there. Right. Uh, one of my colleagues from work, Seth Swerzik, who's our uh, communications manager, is hunting there. He actually killed a deer tonight, which is great. Um, uh, but, yeah, hasn't been a lot of movement up there either. And they need it to be cold, so they'll come to the, come to the feed up there t- traditionally. Right. Uh, but that's not been the case. It's it's one of those interesting years. Chase, this country that these guys are hunting, and I had the privilege to go with y'all today as well too. It's family land, is it not? Yes, sir. Yeah, my uh, my grandpa bought this ranch back in the seventies, and uh, we just kind of had it ever since. And we hadn't really leased it for ten years, but yeah, Blake wanted to lease it last year, so hooked him up and had a great year last year. But phenomenal season this year. Last year. Kind of opposite. We've been seeing nothing but does and <laughs> no bucks. So yeah. I don't know what's going on, but hey, they're out there. We know they're there, and maybe in a few days we'll see some big ones. The interesting thing is, is we actually like five and six years ago, all in these areas we've been in have had pretty darn good fawn survival rates. Mm. So it's not like you know sometimes you'll have a fawn crop where you have ten percent. Well, five years hence, they're not going to be very many five-year-old deer. Yet here in these areas where we've been. Fun survival rate was pretty darn high, so there. That's not a situation where we're missing an age class or two age classes because of the drought or, or bad situations. So they're in hiding. But I've, I learned a long time ago dealing with white-tailed deer that when they turn mature, and, and in our instance in South Texas and lower southern part of the world, they when they turn four years of age, they can become a totally different, different animal. Deer. And we have different conditions. Like 2021's just been a strange year. I mean, put COVID aside, Texas had its coldest, you know, record temp- record freezing temperatures oh, in, yeah. February, in February, you yeah. know, where we literally had yeah. power outages for a week in some areas. Uh, the water sources on the property that, that I get to lease from Chase's family all froze, you know, and, and that's that's very rare, yeah, you know, here. And that was really, 
you know, when to me the Bucks, um, you know, were, in, were were really lean at that time, coming off that post rut condition, and and um, everything froze. Plus, it was a very dry winter. Then it followed by an extremely wet spring and summer. I think Chase has totaled 34, 35 inches of rain since yeah. May. And Larry, you saw it today. It looks like spring down there. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. green. There's the grass. It, Neil, it, I mean, it's 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 mosquitoes are yeah. out there. Jungle, yep. it, and uh, I don't know if that's why we're not seeing a lot of the deer too, because uh, they they have so much. They don't have to get out of their bed. Get out of their bed, they can eat right there. They don't have to travel far. That, that, I love to hear people tell me, "Well, you got to hunt between the bedding area and the feeding area." And not in this here. instance, the difference, the distance between those is well, that deer's laying down, how far it can reach out there and grab yeah. something with his mouth. Now, if I can get in between that feeding area and bedding area, you know, I'm probably going to see that darn deer. Yeah, kind of thing. But, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it's been a different year. You know, last year, Chase is right, we saw more bucks than we saw those. We thought we maybe had a problem. And... Um, and we took a number of bucks, you know, but all older deer, you know, so we did eliminate some older deer classes. We didn't eliminate all of them, we felt like, but, you know, this year we see, we're seeing a lot of does. And the fawn crop, the fawn rates were, were high this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really good, you know. But the older bucks have been hard. To, we've, we've seen them on trail camera, but it's hard to find them. We just haven't been able to find them. I've told the story numerous times. I was telling you guys about the deer we called Ricky, that when he turned four and a half, he was raised in the house. And when he turned 40 years old, he had been a uh, pretty substantial set of antlers on that deer's head. And up to that point, he'd been a huge doofus. But at four years old, he would disappear where nobody would see him starting about the, oh, the first week of October. Hmm. And he was raised on Purina dog chow, Dorito chips, and bananas. <laughs> and the landowner's wife every night would put out those things. And Ricky, during the, that time frame, once he got to be four and a half years of age, he would not be seen during daylight hours, an hour after solid dark. He would come up, he'd eat his Dorito chips, his dog chow, and his banana, chase those underneath the nightlight if the rut was going on, or lay there. An hour before the slightest little bit of light, he would disappear. And there were hunters on that property all the time, and it wasn't that big a property, and it was high fence. And yet he was never seen. <laughs> you start seeing him again about the end of February. And then he was a big doofus again. Come the next year, you know, he'd, he'd totally get, he'd get intelligent again. And he'd, I've seen that happen on, on numerous different things, and I think that too may be part of. It. You, there's there's a lot of four and a half, five and a half, six year old deer throughout South Texas, and, you know, and even on y'all's place particularly too. So it's one of those things that may be going on. Neil Tornady is involved in, in in all kinds of different things, and you guys are continually releasing new products, and uh, of course. I know Blake has been a fan of Hornady, not as long as I have because he hadn't been around as long as I have. But uh, you guys, as far as I'm concerned, build the best ammo there is, the best bullets, you know, and and, uh, they've always been a favorite of mine. And I'd say that whether you're sitting here or if anybody ever heard me, I I wouldn't care because that's why I strongly believe in what Hornady does. Tell me a little bit about some of the new products. I mean, y'all came out with the ELDX. Uh, precision hunter loads not too terribly long ago and to me that's the most accurate most killing load that i have ever encountered in not just in one caliber around but in everything i've ever shot so building from that what what are some of the other things y'all are doing right now well you're right i mean the precision hunter ammo so that the advent of the heat shield tip was a big deal i mean that that kind of changed a lot of things for us and that was all done because 
we bought and started using the Doppler radar, and our, our, our folks are intelligent enough to, to read the results from the Doppler radar and make a determination that there's a reason why this chart looks the way it does, and that's because the bullet is changing shape in flight. And that's what we determined. So there's aerodynamic heating that takes place with some of the conventional polymer tip bullets. You're shooting a couple hundred yards, it's not that big of a deal. But people who are shooting extended ranges, it starts to matter because it takes uh, velocity, it takes time of flight. I mean, all these things contribute to end up with the kind of the sloughing of that tip and changing it. It doesn't take a whole lot to change that bullet to where you will see vertical stringing because imagine if you will the explanation is you know this this very sharp uh, pin flying through the air you can see that that's very you know somewhat aerodynamically efficient at least well then now blunt it up a little bit you can see that it's going to have more resistance but it doesn't take a whole lot so what our folks said about to do is to to locate and, and identify a heat resistant polymer and incorporate that into a, a bullet at the time um, and and when we were doing it we were trying to solve the problem for hunting bullets well we would have been remiss had we not adapted that technology into match uh, bullets as well obviously and then we came up with the precision hunter line of ammo and you know bob's your uncle so that that's been hugely <laughs> successful for us i mean it's it's match accurate hunting ammo so it's it's hunting ammo you can shoot a match with now what we've done is um, our gmx bullet that we've had in the line since about 2009 has gone through not just a substantial revamp but enough technological advancements now that it warrants a whole new line so we've taken that uh, monolithic bullet technology uh, that we had in the past and we've adapted and incorporated our heat shield tips into it so now you have a monolithic it's a copper alloy it's not a solid copper bullet right. and we want to make right. that distinction there because people have been shooting copper bullets for a long time well a solid copper bullet is, is kind of gummy uh, and it leaves a lot of residue in your bore and there's a lot of adages out there and people you know if you shoot 10 20 rounds of, of a copper bullet you really need to scrub your bore because you, you might start to see pressure uh, things and, and, and accuracy degradation and stuff like that so uh, ours is a copper alloy um, and it's a so it's a mono metal with our heat shield tip and then the other thing we've done is through some of that Doppler radar testing we identified that the grooves, the sharp grooves that were in there, the pressure relieving grooves, that they have to be there. Right. Because you have a monolithic projectile, there's not a lot of movement in that in that in the shape of that bullet. So there's some some flow of the metal that has to happen as that bullet's engraving on the rifling. Um, so by modifying that groove diameter or pardon me, geometry, we we've rounded it and we have a specific um, you know geometric uh, configuration that we use I guess I mean that's that's beyond my I, I'm not an engineer uh, you know struggled with math in high school and college so but so but there's a lot smarter guys than me that work on that stuff but anyway by 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 smoothing that off I mean you can you can picture it in your mind imagine a you know a sharp corner going through a slipstream well that air is going to hit a sharp corner and it's going to provide wind resistance so if you round those corners that air will flow over those uh, radius grooves a lot easier than they do a sharp corner so now what we've done is we've given you the extended range capabilities uh, with a, a monolithic uh, projectile now 
the benefit that you have with those bullets. Uh, number one, there are some states that require you not use uh, lead core bullets, California exactly. in particular for hunting. But if you want penetration, if you want to get penetration, these bullets are really the, the answer. They will drive deeply in almost all game. Uh, great choice for African hunting. You will, you know, a lot of times overseas, you're going to be with a professional hunter and they're going to, they're not all bench rest shots. I mean, a lot of folks that listen to this podcast, I'm sure are aware of that. So that pH wants you to get a bullet in there. Well, these will be able to fish in from the back of the rib cage and still get to the vitals or go in the front and, and get through vitals and go through a uh, heavy bone. They retain about 95% of their weight, like pretty much all the time. And now you have the capability of, of, of a little extended range by um, better aerodynamics on the bullet, allowing it to have a better trajectory regardless of, of elevation that, that you're shooting it. Um, and then also they're held to a great accuracy standard. So they, it's a, it's a big advancement in that monolithic bullet world. Are y'all using those particular GMX bullets in a particular line of yes, we are. ammo? Yeah, what we've done there is, uh, so in the past, our, our outfitter line of ammo featured GMX bullets. And the premise with that is it's a nickel-plated cartridge case, uh, sealed uh, case mouth and uh, primer. So you have a rugged, all-weather, all-terrain, all-condition uh, ammunition that, you know, you drop it in the snow, you drop it in a creek. It's always going to fire. I mean, everybody's been there. You've, you've, you've gotten in and out of a truck or what have you, and you're unloading your rifle, or, and you launch around into the mud or into a pond or what have you. A lot of times that's now suspect. Well, that's not the case with this stuff because it's waterproof. So that's a very rugged line of ammo that, that we wanted to make sure we were using, you know, our most rugged projectiles in. And now we've surpassed our GMX technology with the CX bullets, uh, which stands for copper alloy expanding. I guess I should say that. Um, so now that is, is loaded exclusively in the outfitter line. That's a pretty good bullet. It's a very good bullet. I mean, I've had the opportunity to shoot just a little of it. Not, I mean, in terms more for accuracy and those kind of things, just really getting to use it now on some of the the, the, the animals that I'm trying to take at this point. But uh, the, the one I have taken with it is phenomenal. Oh, and I mean, the GMX bullet, it's been, like I said, it's been out since 2009. Oh, yeah. I personally have had extensive experience with it. Right. And uh, have used it on numerous occasions on a variety of game. And, uh, you know, on African game, on elk, on moose, on any medium to large game, it's really a phenomenal choice. It's, it's an excellent choice. Uh, the other great place to use them is on uh, pigs in the United States or elsewhere <laughs> in the world because pigs a lot of times don't bleed really well. So either you get immediate incapacitation or you'd really benefit from having a blood trail because they, they, the fat closes up on them. And Larry, you know all about this, I'm sure, and everybody here does because these are all Texans. So, so don't let the guy from Nebraska right. lecture you on pig hunting. But I mean, so yeah, if you get you want exit wounds, you will get exit yeah. wounds. That's right. what you will get, and uh, it again drives deeply and a lot of weight retention. I want to get into some of the other things you're, with, that y'all are doing, but you mentioned the pig thing. Yes. Okay, you spent time in Europe with, uh, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. The, the, the what, what's the name of the TV show? That, oh, Wild Boar Fever? Wild Boar with, Fever. With uh, Franz Albrecht? Yes, yep. yes. That, that's an interesting show if somebody has not seen it, and particularly the fact they're shooting a running game. Yep. Yep. The ethics around shooting running game, and, you know, this conversation happens all the time. And we're at a campfire, and this is campfire talk, so it's a perfect uh, place to do this. 
So in the United States, and I think Larry, you and I have had email conversation about this at one point in time. So we in the, in, in America are typically not proponents of shooting running game. And then I will come back with the caveat for the first shot. Because a lot of times somebody will make a shot and then, you know, it's ethical for you to now follow that up and try to anchor that animal so you can right. find it and, you know, do all that. So a lot of times people are taking running game shots or at least moving game shots for a second or perhaps a third shot. So, uh, you know, if there's any way to practice that, it, it's it's wise. Uh, yes. You know, and I mean, there if you know how to shoot a shotgun, some of that will definitely apply to shooting right. at, at, at running game. So, again, here, an ethics, you know, in, in my personal observation that traveling a fair amount is, you know, sometimes they're geographical. So, again, here in the States, we don't shoot running game. And uh, you go to, let's say, the UK, you hunt in England. They typically don't shoot at running game, but they will shoot a game that's further than 200 meters. That's usually not a problem. They, they, they're okay with that. They shoot with moderators or suppressors because typically it's in it's in rural areas, but there's a lot of houses and things that right. are around, and they're very, very uh, disciplined about always making sure that you have a safe backdrop, which is a great practice that obviously everybody should adhere to. And then you cross the channel and you get into Europe, particularly Germany, and about 200 meters is kind of the number. Right. You know, like yeah. That's anything beyond that, and we're just not doing that. But running game perfectly appropriate and, and in fact that's really the king of, of hunting is is doing driven game hunts but they also practice for it they have shooting cinemas they have yes. shooting ranges that have running uh bore uh, training sites where you shoot at like 15 meters 25 meters 35 meters something like that and so you can practice that but you know here in the states we don't have a whole lot of that stuff but there's a whole bunch of people that are listening to this now that, you know, maybe that resonates that, yeah, we don't shoot running game typically with the first shot. Sometimes you do on varmints, coyotes, things like that. But, um, on, on game animals, we don't, but a lot of times that second or third shot, that animal is moving. So not being able to do, you know, practicing that somehow is, is, is maybe something to try to do. I, I, from Nebraska and some people always used to practice with a, a tire with a target in it roll Absolutely. it down a hill and They've shoot at the yeah. you know shoot at that so there's ways to do it so uh but yeah that's that's a that's a big conversation it's it, a fireside it chat it, right it's best i think left yeah. to, to, to maybe another time but it, it's interesting how ethics change somewhat when you cross borders yeah quite frankly. very very but, true and and, it, and it's but it's like customs it's it's like anything yeah, and, it's, and that's their custom and so that's how things are done and when they come over here we do things a certain way and we ask that they, they adhere to our customs absolutely you know? okay now let's, let's go back to some of the products yeah the, the beauty of it is y'all produce fantastic lines of commercial ammo you also we don't talk very often in, in our little group about reloading yeah loading sure. mm-hmm. and in years past i used to do reloading columns and all those other kind of things yeah. and then you guys came out with the commercial loads with the bullets that i would have used in trying to do you know specific hand loads and uh so i no longer hand load because i get unbelievable accuracy out of the loads that y'all produce for me yeah and i mean that was the thing i when i was in college in the in the 90s that's the kind of the time frame when ammo manufacturers started to load quote-unquote premium bullets yes. you know i mean a lot of that before that was uh spire points soft points things like that and then you got boutique bullets that started to get loaded and um yeah it was about that time frame uh so now the market is well serviced with 
again premium bullets in a variety of applications and in in you know amazing ammunition um so yeah but reloading is still a big part of what we do uh, we sell component bullets we're a very large bullet manufacturer i'm not gonna sit here and and, and uh, uh you know pound my own chest about what we're capable of but the company does we're a big bullet manufacturer and it's kind of a I'd have to tell you it's a core competency. It's something that we right. do. We, we do that very well. I don't mean to sound like I'm bragging, but that's just that's, that's a fact. And we make bullets and sell them to people all over the, the world for not only their reloading use, but also for uh, people to use an OEM manufacturer of, of loaded ammo and right. things like that. And But that's where we started. 1949, Mr. Joyce Hornady, he was an avid shooter. He had uh, been a... a uh, training uh, uh, he was a trainer for the for the training unit at the army ammunition depot there in grand island well when the war ended there was a lot of surplus stuff but there wasn't any really good bullets that he wanted to use for shooting silhouettes and competition and hunting use so he set out to to craft his own product at that time and and so since 1949 we've been we've been bu- building bullets um and it all still a family-owned company it's on its third generation of family management now so there's joyce hornady who passed away in 1981 that's a that's another right. uh, story pretty tragic uh, yes, story it was. and then steve hornady his son uh is still our president and then his son jason hornady now works at the company and he's the vice president and my boss and uh so yeah i mean that's that's what we've done we've always made bullets about 1964, the company started to make ammunition uh, from remand cartridge cases. So it was uh, uh, 30-06 cases, I think, at the time. Uh, I don't know if it was 308s then. Uh, but, yeah, it was remand brass that they got from uh, the um, Lake City Arsenal, and mm-hmm. they would load 30-06 and 270 and stuff like that yeah, off sure. of those cases. The head stamp would have been Lake City with, a, you know, whatever it would have been, you know, right. 30 cal and right. stuff like that. But it would have been a 270 or whatnot. Um and then about 1984, I think, is how the timeline works when we started to make some of our own cartridge cases at that point. And then now making cartridge cases is, is a big part of our production. And uh, loading our own ammo, obviously, has been, been a, is pretty big for us now. But at the core of our business is always going to be bullet manufacturing. Right, right. Yeah. You, you've gotten in. I mean, we, we talked a little bit. I, I used to use a lot of Hornady reloading equipment for or tools, if you wish. Yeah, to, sure. You know, as well. And y'all still produce a lot of those, too, I assume. Yeah, and the, the at least his, to some extent. So the history with that one, I think it was it was either 71 or 72, somewhere in there. So they bought the Pacific Reloading Tool Company. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, moved it to Grand Island. And uh, Steve Hornady had been out in Montana for a period of time. The, the Hornady family owned a ranch, but he came back, and then his first job, um, and if he's listening to this, he can always correct me later. As, as you know he will. But his, <laughs> Surely not. His, his first job Surely was to not. come back, and he, he managed the, the tool plant for a long time. So that was his first right. first job there. Was, was man- Well, not his first job. He right. did stuff as a kid in high school and stuff, but in his profession was to manage that tool plant. So, yeah, we've been making reloaders for a long time. Shot shell reloaders was a big deal for us for quite a period of time oh, yeah, as well. Sure. And then, uh, obviously, uh, single-stage presses and then the automatic progressive press. And then now our newest one's the iron press, which is a single-stage press. But, yeah, we've... We, I mean, it's just, it, it, I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, you want to be a full service company. And if you make bullets, having the same people that buy your bullets be able to buy 
reloading products and tools from you, that's meaningful. And, cool. and, and we put a lot of R&D and, and testing and work into our, our tool development and products. And the other thing that maybe a lot of folks don't understand is that a lot of those things come from our own people's needs and wants and desires because there's a whole group of us that love to shoot. I mean, we shoot uh, PRS matches, NRL Hunter Series matches. I mean, throughout the company's history, I mean, it was founded by a guy who wanted to shoot competitively, right? right? Choice right. Hornady. And then there's been bench rest shooters, silhouette shooters, all this throughout this whole time. So a lot of those things that got developed along the way were little tools or design improvements upon existing products that we thought would be really cool f- to use ourselves. And lo and behold, that translated to something that the, the market enjoyed as well. But we don't just design tools and not use them. We're a lot of passionate right. users of the products. And it comes from doing a lot of Yeah, so I mean, our, our, look at this. Well, this would be a really great thing if it, okay. Yeah. Well, let's try this kind of thing. Well, and you know, you, the other thing you might design a, a product and on paper it looks good and you manufacture it and it works fine but until you spend a lot of time with it you may not see the flaws to that design and so we have you know joe Thielen, he's our assistant director of engineering and if he ever hears this i'll deny i said it but he's a really good shooter um he's he's a great shooter he shoots extremely well prs nrl stuff as well um and then we have a bunch of young guys that do a lot of design work in that area too and then our ballisticians the same thing so they live and breathe the stuff but yeah you got to take it home and and break it and find its flaws when you're designing something then you come back and perfect it before it goes out to the customer um and because they're going to be your ultimate test they're going to tell you whether they like it or not or if it works well or or not yeah it comes right back down to that i mean y'all are in the business of selling products yeah and if the products work and the the customer is satisfied that just means they're going to buy more tell more people about it yeah kind of thing so but, um, yeah, I mean, so the reloading business is a big part of what we do. And then, yeah, I mean, everybody out there knows there's been a ammo crunch. Um, and it, for everybody who doesn't quite understand, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a production issue because I promise you, <laughs> us and those like us in the industry are making more ammo than we ever have. But there's just been a buying spree. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people question you know why, why can't i find ammo it's like all right well let me ask you the question here so before this occurred this this uh, ammo uh, quote-unquote shortage occurred when you bought ammo what did you buy you know it's usually like a box or two or this and that and i go to the range and shoot it right okay and then the last time you bought any ammo what did you buy oh i bought you know two cases of this and yeah it's like okay now multiply that by you know whatever the number is and hundred million gun owners, etc. I don't know how many of them are active, but you know, multiply that by a huge number of people and now maybe you can rationalize how why it's tough to find stuff. So um, but to quote Steve Hornady, just keep buying it, we'll make more. We'll make more. Yeah, we'll make more. <laughs> Sounds just like it. Yeah, we'll make more. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, it's true, you will. Right. You know, when I was in a gun store not too very long ago and I was visiting with people that were coming in and there were guys coming in and buying ammo that they didn't have rifles for. Yep. Which, I mean, there, and I saw, because I'd question myself, man, what do you what do you hunt with that caliber, you know, or that particular round or cartridge? And they just kind of like, well, I don't have one. And I said, so why are you buying it? 
That's a well, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe I'll buy a rifle. If I can get enough ammo, I'll buy a rifle for it. Or maybe I'll trade it for something that somebody else wants or needs. So it's an interesting time in that respect. And I guess what I was trying to get to on that, and I, you know, this is, this is typical, um, you know, podcast discussion where you go down a rabbit hole. But what I was going to say about that was there's people that couldn't find their own ammo. So now right. they want to get into reloading. So reloading sales have been on a definite big uptake. Really? And we have a whole bunch of new people out there that are learning to reload and all manner of things, you know. Yeah. So this this period of time has been extremely stressful for the entire world, America obviously as well. Yeah. But um, there's been some good things that have happened. Our industry has grown. There's a lot more participants out there. I think it was uh, NSSF numbers was about 8.4 million new gun owners added in 2020. I can't remember the exact number that uh, on top of that that have been right. added in 2021. But we've grown our our base, our enthusiasts, and, and and really that's important for our industry to keep growing to protect it our is. freedoms. Absolutely, it yeah. is. Now y'all recently got into a, a safe business as well too. Yeah, of sorts. Yep. I should, maybe it's not a true safe business, but. It's talking about safe in terms of storage sure. of guns and stuff. There's kind of so we have uh, we we acquired a company uh, called SnapSafe. So SnapSafe's um, original intent they they produced a um, like a, it's a modular safe that used to literally snap together from the inside with a mm-hmm. uh, I forget the name of the device that actually uh, snapped it together. Now we still are offering those safes. They're modular safes. And they bolt together. They have uh, heat-resistant lining. Um, you know all all the features that you would get out of any safe, except for the fact that the heaviest part of every safe is the door. Well, this safe comes. It's modular. It ships to you directly to your house in a box. It's in pieces. You can move it to the third story of your house. You can go up a rotary staircase and take every part up there, and then assemble it. And then when you move, you can uh, you can remove it as well. Uh, office buildings, all those things. But from that initial product line, the company has grown to offer a variety of different things to include uh, your standard lock boxes that you buy for securing pistols to uh, modular safes that go in your trunk of your car or under your bed. And then probably a, a, a great product that we offer in the SnapSafe line is our vault doors. So our vault doors are very economically priced, full feature product, um, but again offer a great value for everybody out there so you want to turn a room into a strong room get a vault door they have in swing out swing doors there's uh, left and right configurations and then there's a there's a full size door and then there's also a closet door so there's two separate sizes i think 36 and 32 inches um and i don't have a catalog with me but the 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 catalog or pardon me the uh the closet doors are outswing only, right? So you can't swing them in. But right. uh, yeah, you can have outswing or inswing with the standard room doors. Um, and then we do have another uh, uh, product line within the Hornady uh, product spectrum, and that's our. A lot of it is a rapid safe design. So we we have a patent on uh, gun storage devices uh, with. Um, RFID technology. So that's oh, yeah, like okay. a lot of people are familiar with the little cards that open doors right. and things like that. Yeah, same principle. So you can take that technology and it gets pretty small. You can put it on a little watch band. We also have little stickers that can go on the one thing that we all have with us all the time, our cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rapid safes work with that technology. They're, it's It's foolproof entry. So instead of leaving your handgun just in a drawer at your nightstand, um, where A, it's unsecured, but B, it's accessible to everybody that comes in your house. And 
I have now teenage children, but I had young children. Right. And, yeah. I, you know, I was never really worried about my kids if they were home in, no, at, my, no. at my house because they were familiar with gun safety and things. But the the pressure was always going to be there if one of their friends comes over and learns that you know there's a gun there and wants to see it and they're fascinated with it. And that's just a recipe for disaster. So this provides you a location to store your firearm securely, yet still have instant access to it because you put that RFID key tag or a key over it it'll spring open you get your gun just like right. that just as fast as you could open a, a drawer or whatnot so it keeps it out of uh, away from unsecured uh, right. users it does have a 1500 pound lock cable so you can secure it to something uh, you can also bolt it to the wall or bolt it to another uh, location in your house and then there's a full line of other products there um, we have a rapid ready vaults which are basically like a rapid accessible or RFID accessible um, gun cabinet uh, so real handy to have a lot of people that might live in apartments or or they don't quite have the space or the means to to put in a full-size safe but they want something that will secure their long guns uh, it's a great choice for that and still gives you that rapid access so if you want to put a shotgun or an ar right. or a rifle or whatnot in there it'll do that for you um, and then we also have a vehicle safe so if you have a concealed carry permit there are unfortunately places you can't always take your handgun so sometimes you need to lock it up in your vehicle and that's a great way to do it yet it's still accessible got to check your local laws on all that stuff obviously i would be remiss if i didn't say that but um but yeah there's a full line of of uh security products the majority of the hornady security products are rfid compatible devices that's that's what those are whereas on the snap safe side they are typically conventional lock devices as well as our safes lock boxes and things like that that's a lot of different product lines when you get it right down to let's go back to some of the ammo and, and, and bullet things it, what, what's on the horizon we're not that far away from january and the shot show and anything that, that sticks out in your mind that you can address at this point because we're still about oh almost well almost two months out i guess there so you know the way that the the market is right now the the industry wants you to produce more product i mean the consumer wants product right and you know coming out with a whole bunch of really whiz bang new cool things um well i mean i can tell everybody how it works i mean so we'll have a a r d process so let's say we decide we're going to build a new bullet well, you've got to take a press right now that's because the R&D presses are making production bullets right now. That's what's going on. So you'd have to go through a R&D process where that press that's making bullets that somebody out there already wants and has on order. Right. Now you got to make a, a test run of bullets and then you got to make a production run. And that whole time you could have been making bullets that could ship to people. Exactly. The, 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 the patience of the consumer is is not high right now when it comes to not delivering products. <laughs> so, sure that's okay. so there's uh, we do have a few things that are uh, pretty well. There's some things that are done, uh, but we do need to wait on you know the 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 climate, the you know the, the the demand to maybe slow down a little bit in order to introduce some new products. Right. Um, there are some things that are out there for sure, uh, but again, it's just the biggest thing right now is to provide for the demand. I mean, we got to build to the demand. And, and I'll reiterate, we have done a lot of things transparent to the consumer in order to try to meet that demand. Uh, there's no conspiracies. The government isn't buying all the ammo. Uh, there's nothing like that. It, I mean, yeah, trust me, we're capitalists. I mean, 
You know, a lot of people know Steve and Jason, they're great people. Uh, but you know, we run a company that is there to, it's a business. And, um, so we're doing everything we possibly can to try to meet that demand. We've added people, we've added machinery, we've done so many things, but a lot of folks don't quite understand that, you know, you don't have a spare ammo production facility, you know, that you can just turn on. I mean, it's like, you know, if your house burned down, you can just go live in your other one. Well, that's not how people live their lives. Well, we, we take our capacity and we increase it to the best of our abilities. And then we also add more floor space. We've added more machinery, again, tools, people, everything. And uh, we are producing a lot more. We produced a lot more in 2020 than we did 2019 or producing even more in 2021. Yeah, Blake and I had an opportunity to come up to the plant. First time I'd been there. And I mean, I've known Steve and Jason for many, many years and been using horny products for a long time. But the facility that that we looked at was just phenomenal. And I suspected it's in full operation. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think we're right the, fact, the new factory, the new or the shipping department. Out west? Yeah, well, yeah. out west was yeah. just completed. And, and that was, you know, and, and that's the the family ownership, you know, decided that we needed to build for the future. And, boy, that was timely because How was it ever? then, obviously, COVID hit and, and the spike in demand occurred. So that was, that was a good thing that we had that in place, which was, again, very timely. Um, but... Yeah, we've got a great group of people that work there. I mean, everybody's, you know, we just had our Christmas party, so we just had, you know, a big, huge, huge bonding experience for everybody at the company. But, you know, we were affected by COVID just like everybody else and all the things that have to take place, sanitize, masks, all these things that the whole country had to deal with. But at the same time, we did everything possible to continue to keep the doors open, produce product, make sure that we were receiving raw materials and goods and services that we needed in order to keep producing products. So we worked pretty hard to make sure that that happened. And again, also the ownership wanted to make sure that everybody there was still gainfully employed because there's a lot of companies in America that were shut down over this and, and that was important that we kept going. That's, that's fantastic in so many different ways. Hornady, as a company and as individuals within the company, has long been involved with conservation organizations. Oh, you bet. And one of the, the, the liaisons or the, the alliances, if you will, that I am so very proud for them and and others is their their connection with the DSC, with the Dallas Safari Club. Now, we've got our convention coming up January 6th through 9th at K-Baby Hutchison Center in, in Dallas. And... Uh, Hornady's been a great supporter of that convention and of DSC, and I know you guys are going to have a booth there, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll be there. We're looking forward to it. It's, a, it's always a fun show. It's kind of the first one for the marketing group every year, so we're still fresh, and we look forward to it because we're around a whole bunch of like-minded individuals who share the same passion for shooting and hunting and obviously our concern for conservation around the world. And that's so very obvious. I, I, I personally want to thank you, but also thank you on behalf of both DSC and the DSC Foundation for your support these yeah, many years, and hopefully in the future as well. Too, uh, I got a feeling that's going to happen. Oh, it will. It's integral to our company. I mean, and those who have ever met, you know, Steve, Jason, the rest of the family, they're they're committed to that. They they live, breathe, and you know, the the industry, shooting, hunting, it's what they do, and. We have a vested interest in making sure that the future is as bright as the past ever was. I like that. I like that.
are you going to do the next several days while you're here in Texas? I know, you, and you actually you, you drove down. So yeah, I drove because we you know we weren't sure where we were going to go if we were going to end up in another ranch or if we we're going to come down here. So it, it was kind of open ended. So yeah, I drove down. It's a it's a it's a drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in one day. Yeah, yeah, in one day. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good day's trip. Yeah. My gracious. <laughs> so tomorrow, I think we're expecting high temps of about ninety. So we're going to take a break tomorrow, and Blake's got a, a, a fishing trip organized. So we're going to take advantage of that because uh, shooting, hunting is also my passion, but it's also my vocation. But fishing is my avocation, I guess. So, yeah. Well, I'm fishing with this guy. And it's foul mouth. Right? Yeah. It's Foulmouth Outdoors. Foul mouth. He's, yeah, he's yeah, a waterfowl out there. Oh, okay. F O W L. We're going to fish the special bathroom bay with Captain Seth Holder. I really enjoyed fishing with him because he, he fishes for fish. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's, he doesn't it's care. We're going to go out and catch fish. fish. You know, let's, yeah. let's go load the boat up with whatever the legal limits are and all those kind of things. And he's a great guy to be around. A lot of fun. I mean, I've been to the Gulf Coast in a couple of spots, but never in Texas. I've never been to the really? Gulf Coast of Texas. I mean, I've been to Houston, but I haven't been uh, down yeah, on the water yeah, or any yeah. of that stuff. So, But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because it's a part of the country I've always wanted to see, and I just never have. Yeah, that's the, a lot of that area that you'll be in will border. The, the King Ranch border is the, the land border there for a long stretch, and and uh, there's some fantastic fishing to be had. And I, I understand from what you're saying, Blake, that they're catching quite a few quite a few fish right now that's the report i think again it's just such a mild winter you know it's yeah. almost spring like water temperatures uh even on the freshwater side and, and the fishing has been good and yeah we're going to be 90 90 91 degrees tomorrow <laughs> here in and, december and uh and, and the next day there. yeah wow so take a break from the hunt there is a front coming in this weekend depending on how long neil can stay but you know, we'll fish tomorrow, and uh, we may even get back in time to hunt the afternoon hunt and um, hopefully have a box of fish to come back with us. And that's going to be fun because just like you shared, the King Ranch shoreline is the shoreline of that bay. Oh, yeah. And I had already told Neil earlier today, you know, we're liable to see some nail guy and a lot of waterfowl and uh, even maybe some big deer. I was going to say, <laughs> you see some really nice white Walking those oh, yeah. right on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, It'll be interesting to see what kind of waterfowl is down right now. That's a really good waterfowl area as well, because that entire bay system is not very deep. So no. it's a very highly productive in terms of, of uh, fisheries, but also in terms of waterfowl and, and all those other kind of good things. I mean, it's, it's a big, important ecosystem down here. It is. Absolutely. It, it That's really what I was is. just fixing to say. We're so, I mean, we're an hour and 45 minutes from the Gulf of Mexico where we are here right now, maybe maybe a little bit less than that, you know, and then right in the heart of some of the best deer hunting even some of the best wing shooting. Oh, man. Texas, you know. Texas is a, I mean, I haven't been all over Texas because I don't know that that's even possible because it's so big, but it's, an, it's a great state full of amazing opportunities and just a bunch of different landscapes and ecosystems. And, and uh, yeah, it's fun to spend some time with you, Larry, because, you know, you've made a life out of understanding this state and the animals and environment and everything that goes into, you know, making Texas what it is. So it's kind of a treat to to be around you and, and get uh, an education about some things because a lot of people will say this is a this or a that but you know why it is a this or a that you know which is fascinating to me oh you're very kind we've been like Blake said we've been trying to get you down here for yeah. a long long time to spend time with you 
and you know there's an open-ended invitation about coming back Always. too all the time so <clears throat> i'm gonna come back to chase before we close this thing out <clears throat> i'll come back to you for just a little bit neil Chase, what advice have you got to these old, for these old guys when it comes to the fish? <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute. Well, first, it's I got to keep farting out of trouble. Over there. <laughs> but. Hey, I had that beauty for a long time. Well, I got so it I'm now. Glad that's it's, for I'm glad sure. I passed it on to somebody else. <laughs> Neil, I'm going to have to keep him out of trouble, too. He, he's a little bit of trouble down here. He, but, he is. <laughs> but he's been a good time, so we love having him down. That's awesome. That's awesome. I totally agree. And I'm so fortunate that I was able to come down as far as I'm concerned to spend the day with you guys. And I wish I could spend the rest of the week. But unfortunately, I've got several articles that are due that are, happen to be about Hornady. Oh, well, things. perfect. So you I should go to work. Go to work Get back to work, Larry. <laughs> I have one question for Neil. Uh, you, you, you talked about it earlier, which is why I'm bringing it up. But what, what do you really think about the, the, the brush country and, and rattling the way we rattle down here compared to some of the some of the other states that do rattle like in nebraska or in kansas across the midwest rattle from three stands lock-ons or maybe or rattling bags i mean what did you think of oh uh, yeah the rattling was, uh... experience between you know larry is truly a master he he's uh he's totally mastered the craft i mean with all his whitetail experience which has passed that on to many other people who have followed him including myself just following him with the camera for so many years um but i even will agree that we do it different down here uh, with the way we rattle, how aggressive we can be, both with the rattling horns and vocalizations, and I, it was your kind of first time to experience that. What was your? Yeah, I mean, I've I've rattled deer in in Nebraska and in Kansas and stuff like that, but you know, we don't. It's it's done just a little bit differently. But the the deer don't come screaming in all the time like they did here. We had two deer come in. And the one deer, it was just fascinating to watch because he came running in. He's expecting to see at least two deer locked up together and fighting. And he just stopped. And I think he was just in shock because his eyes were deceiving him. Like, wow, this, oh, oh my God, I, I got to leave now. Because he got, he, he obviously figured out there was actually something else, not deer there. But yeah, it was, it's tight. It's real tight. It's tight. Uh, and the, I up mean, close. And, you know, so I'm, I, used to read Larry's stories for years and watch the TV shows and Larry was big on uh, handgun hunting and having spent you know a couple days in the deep brush down here that makes a lot of sense because when you're in that thick stuff those deer are going to be 10 yards away yeah. you do not need a rifle if you've yeah. got a handy handgun to use that makes a whole lot of sense you can carry it easier the shot's right there uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me now that I was I, I never quite understood it to be honest right. with you, Larry. But now <laughs> it, it makes a perfect sense because that is really an easy way to do it. But yeah, I mean, so my son, he, you know, my son's uh, the, the one I'm talking about is 17, and so I guess the in vogue thing to do is to have a set of antlers or maybe three or whatnot hanging from your tree stand on the ground so that they'll be on the ground, and then when it's time to rattle, you basically just pull up this rope and they just tickle each other, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. And that's all that we're doing now. It's like, okay, so my son lectured me on that. Okay, well, it's not how it's done down here, pal, because uh, it's full-on war that's taking place in the brush. So. You better watch your fingers because you can break them real. Yeah, right. smacking those things together. And then the vocalizations that you make, I mean, there's no call. The first time I heard Blake doing it yesterday, I was looking over him to see if he had a, he had a mouth call. Like, is that a diaphragm, or what is he using over there? And then, 
then it's just uh, no it's all mouth vocalizations and then you were doing the same stuff today and um, yeah I mean I think a lot of people who've watched you know a lot of the deer hunting shows have this has been popularized but until you experience it for yourself you don't quite appreciate it or you know it, if you can really trust it or believe it yeah you know? yeah I, I think that deer Larry rattled the big deer that Larry rattled in this morning was hesitant at first it took him a while and I really think it was Larry's vocalizations that uh, finally tricked yeah. him yeah. to say I'm going to go over there and figure that, that, that out you know yeah. and it's way different than like a grunt tooth call or oh yeah no, really. see, well you know. the, the beauty of it is is not all deer sound alike and you really don't honestly you don't need the grunt call you can do it with your mouth you know all of us guys who are great big linemen for professional football teams and you walk up to them and you finally get to meet them and you expect to have them with a really deep voice hey how you doing and with that being the case I've, I've listened to a lot of white tail sometimes those really big older bucks yeah. their voices are a little bit higher pitched than, than what you might anticipate them being so they come out of curiosity and sometimes you can intimidate them and, and, uh, and I think that's kind of what happened this morning because I, I saw him right after he, I'd been rattling and didn't see anything and I looked up and I saw him and a bit of a while into it so yeah. to me sometimes you can get him to come in from a curiosity perspective and usually what I try to do is I'll rattle, I'll rattle all kinds of different ways from very timidly to very aggressively to a lot of vocalizations incorporating snort wheezes and all those kind of things and when I find something that works, I repeat it until it quits yeah. working. And then cool. I'll, I'll switch you know, to a slightly different, like rattling for a long, long period of time. Or just barely hitting the horse together for just a little bit and pulling them apart. You know? So you, to me, you try different things. And uh, whatever works, works. And if not, if you got antlers on a string and you're sitting up in a tree stand and you want to pull the string and go tickle, 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 that, yeah. that, if it works, do it. That, that's know? not what I have done, but, yeah, that's my son. Yeah. Is, is thing. <laughs> but, hey, you know, he, his experience there in this little lease we have, that worked well for him. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, do whatever works. Yeah, do, it, do, it, yeah. What, do what works for you. But I, I think that a lot of people who haven't hunted here or been here they maybe have seen it on TV, but I don't think they quite appreciate how dense this stuff no, no, really no, no. is. And I mean, obviously, deer can smell well, yeah. but once you start rattling, you know, now you got an auditory uh, thing that's going on here, yeah. and they can't just they can't they can't see what's going on. They have to literally get about in, in your, your lap they to do, see yeah. what's going As on. You so would they, if you yeah. were trying to come in close. To so see they have to come right in there. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I did notice, not that we haven't shot at a deer or anything yet but boy i think it'd be tough to get a shot well, we talked about that yeah. things can happen fast and it can be because it's so thick that it's hard to see but you know he's there you see him you yeah. know you, but you know you couldn't have shot that deer today no he's behind I the mean, tree he was you know? he might you have been see a, I mean, you can see nice bases player. you can see one tine or two yeah. tines but you know we're not just shooting any deer here they got to be a fully mature buck score or you know higher whatever they have to be mature but then you also have to be able to physically see the vitals yeah. and that isn't always possible <laughs> yeah, when they stop the yeah. through there yeah and the deer that ran in yesterday almost came in so hard and oh, fast yeah, and, yeah. you know i would have been yeah. pretty much in your way yeah i thought you blake you're gonna have to hit him with your rattling <laughs> antlers or something to try because that sucker was right there yeah, yeah. but uh well that's good I, i'm glad you enjoyed it because that's what that was at least part of the goal of yeah, we I haven't mean, shot a big it. deer yet, but yeah. you wanted to come to the brush country and rattle. And, yeah, we and got do to that. see that. 
and uh, no, you, you you learn to appreciate it. And there's a you know there's a lot of deer down here. There's no doubt about that. But there's probably deer you may never see. The stuff is so oh, dense, and if no they doubt. figure out they don't want to show up, I guess they don't. And and like you said, Larry, they, there's plenty for them to eat down here. I mean, yeah. there's food all over the place when there's this much uh, undergrowth. Yeah, almost everything that you saw that was green, with except for some of the grasses, they'll eat. Really? Yeah, that's incredible. So, like you said, there's a tremendous food supply. We need to kind of shut this thing down for the evening, put our fires burning down a little bit. We want to make sure that we invite everybody to the DSC convention January 6th and 9th. Uh, Neil, I assume you will be there again this year at least part of the time. And yes, sir. So you can come by and see Neil and the rest of the guys at the Hornady booth. And I think Blakey may be I'll at be Trichicon or Ruger. Trichicon or Ruger. And uh, we're telling where Skinny Woody will show up and all that kind of stuff. I'll be there. I'll make a guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to hear. <laughs> As we're closing out, Neil, what's the best way if somebody wants to learn more about Hornet Deer, how they can conceive some of the different products y'all produce. What's the best way for them to learn about that? The best way is to go to our website, Hornady.com, and then obviously all of our social media platforms have a lot more information as well. Gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure spending the day with you, and particularly spending time here around our campfire. And just want to invite everybody to be back here next week right here at the DSC Campfire. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. TRHP Outdoors. Can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Boyt, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air, for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.